Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. It's Thanksgiving week, which generally for media monitors means slow news week. Not so much today. CBS picked this week to say, hey, the Hunter Biden laptop is real. These so-called mainstream media outlets keep discovering something that we've known for two years. Hey, we've decided it's real. How nice. We'll get back to that in a minute. Let's begin today with the news of a senseless murder of five patrons of a gay nightclub in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I've been there once. It's a lovely town. This was guaranteed to be a national story very quickly with the hate crime overtones. So may we all unite for a brief moment and find common ground that mass shootings are a nightmare. Let's just put that out there. They unfold so quickly, they're so deadly, and even in this case, when they're stopped quickly, we still have a death toll of five. It sounds like from the first uh, call to the cops to the apprehension of the shooter was five minutes or six minutes. Uh, You know, five, if you're going to put it on a scale, the Islamic State shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando had a body count of 49. So hooray for the people who took the shooter down. We know that these horrid occasions are a time for the so-called progressives to vent all of their anger And so you don't say thoughts and prayers, especially since they want to say, hey, you self-righteous praying people hate the gays. That's what you can expect on your social media. This is a day you watch The View with great trepidation. It didn't take long for us to see Sonny Hostin swerving at high speed into Theology Corner. Get a load. I said this on this show once before. Jesus would be the grand marshal at the pride parade. And then Whoopi Goldberg said, we are all made in God's image. And that is true. Every human has inherent dignity, including the unborn babies. No one dancing in a nightclub deserves what happened here. But what Sonny Hostin is doing is a version of what Al Franken did years ago. Well, back in 2003. He had a book titled Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them. And in the middle of this book, because it was such a serious tome, it had a cartoon, like a comic book multi-panel cartoon about supply-side Jesus. He takes the side of the rich until he's betrayed by William Bennett Iscariot. Hardy har. Now... They'll say very quickly, hey, guys, Jesus isn't a Republican. And we may reply, we say Jesus isn't a gay pride Democrat. We can all think of Abraham Lincoln, who when they said, are we, you know, is God on your side? He said, we need to be on God's side. God is neither Republican nor Democrat. We can say this. We're going to open the Bible Jesus listed pride among the sins in, let's look at the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Since Sonny Hostin started this argument, pride is listed as a sin 
alongside unchastity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, licentiousness, envy, blasphemy. See, people like Sonny Hostin don't really want to say licentiousness or unchastity is a problem. That's why they would say such a thing like Jesus would lead the gay pride parade. No, I think it is true that Jesus wants to appeal to all people, and he died for all people. But Jesus wasn't somebody who never criticized people. Jesus would criticize his opponents as whitewashed tombs. He'd overturn a table at the temple. He could get angry. He's not all peace. He's not all love. There are times people need to be called out. Lord knows they do that at The View. And, of course, what they did here was, you know, Whoopi Goldberg rushed to the same tactic the left always uses after a mass shooting. They blame a climate of rhetoric on the right. They don't blame the actual murder suspect. Whoopi went right to cite the badly named GLAD. I call them the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Debate. Because these people are organized to say there shall be no opposing view to us. They have all the ideological certainty. GLAD's boss, Sarah Kate Ellis, is all over the TV and she tweeted, There is a direct link between the violence committed against our community and the hateful rhetoric spewed daily by anti-LGBTQ politicians and extremists. Now, Whoopi said, there's no motive yet. This is true, but they never wait. They never wait for the actual facts to come in. She starts yelling, words matter. She took off after Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who was dissing LGBTQ plus people. And then she said, they didn't need your thoughts. They needed your votes. I mean, this sort of pretends that passing a so-called Respect for Marriage Act would somehow prevent nightclub shootings? They're all so quick to blame a climate of rhetoric. That means they can take a crime like this and smear it all across all of us. Every conservative American, every American who voted for Donald Trump in either election, blame them all. They're all... Rhetorical murderers. Sonny Hostin then complained about the Marriage Equality Act because 37 Republicans voted against it. If you look all over the country this year, over 300 bills to restrict LGBTQ rights have been introduced in 23 states. The nation's largest LGBTQ advocacy organization, the Human Rights Campaign, is terrified about that. This is a, another common left-wing tactic to do one of these surveys and do a number of bills. It's really what the Brennan Centers did about bills about voter ID or you know voting laws. There are over 300 laws or what, however the number was, trying to restrict our voting rights. It was voting integrity. It was not Jim Crow, 
but this is the way the left plays. You're either a nightclub murderer or you're Jim Crow, or maybe you're both. We want to ask ourselves the question, what are these restrictive bills that the human rights campaign is talking about? I think we can guess. We know when they discuss these things, they are bills about boys competing in girls' sports. How dare you? They're bills about let's not mutilate the genitals of minors without parental consent. How dare you? There are bills about schools going around parental knowledge and encouraging among their students gender fluidity. You can be whoever you want at school, zzer, whoopie doo. If you introduce one of these bills, they're apparently putting you on the, the FBI most wanted list. Now, the, the sad thing here is no cast member of The View is going to offer an opposing view to Sonny or Whoopi or to, uh, you know, Sarah Haynes. They're all talking about weaponizing Christianity. Like they don't weaponize their ideology. This, I mean, you want to talk about weaponizing. You're weaponizing this mass shooting by blaming all of us for it before you even know what the real motive is. The View, as a show, isn't a vibrant democracy in any way. Dissent is not tolerated, especially on the LGBTQ stuff. In reality, our so-called liberal media is illiberal. You cannot oppose drag queen story hour for grade school kids with a stripper pole or you are going to be associated with a nightclub shooting. It's like this transgender activist named Zoe Zephyr of Missoula, Montana. She went on NPR in a very one-sided interview last week. And she basically said, when you file an anti-trans bill, it's going to cause suicides. You can't actually oppose these people without them claiming you're murdering people. That is the daily drama queen ritual. And you cannot expect a so-called independent fact checker to evaluate that one. There's no pants on fire for that. Also on Newsbusters, over at MRC Culture, Jason Cohen was writing about Matt Walsh. He stirred up quite a controversy on Twitter. He tweeted, Leftists are using a mass shooting to try and blackmail us into accepting the castration and sexualization of children. These people are just beyond evil. I have never felt more motivated to oppose everything they stand for with every fiber of my being. Despicable scumbags. He added, people die and the first thing they think is, yes, we can use this as ammo against conservatives who don't think children should be exposed to drag shows. Soulless demons. Evil to the core. Truly. And so Matt Walsh, two words, name, trending on Twitter. That's how you do it. I try not to do despicable scumbags. It's <laughs> uh, people know what kind of words you use to go viral. These are the sorts of things, though, when I start tapping something into Twitter, I have to say, oh, you know, when I go to church and say, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, what have I done? Have I said very hateful things? I don't want to do that. I think you can 
call out arguments like this because they are despicable arguments. Uh, so a clinical instructor at Harvard Law named Alejandra Carabello tweeted, Matt Walsh isn't upset that someone shot up a gay bar. He's upset that more people weren't killed. He has a bloodlust for the murder of LGBTQ people. He's doubling down on it and wants more of it. Once again, do we think the independent fact checkers will try to get involved in this? Where did this woman find Matt Walsh saying he wanted more murders at nightclubs? No one expects that CNN or MSNBC hosts who decry, oh, the polarization of America, are going to throw a penalty flag at Harvard Law on this. Or they're going to say, it's so far unproven that Matt Walsh wants a pogrom of the gays. If these people really worried about encouraging a climate of violence with their rhetoric, then couldn't we argue this kind of talk about Matt Walsh rooting for murders endangers Matt Walsh? It's the same th thing we th thought about Trump, right? They're all like, Donald Trump's going to call us the enemy of the people. He's endangering our lives. And they never reflect and say, well, when you suggest Stalin, Trump's going to kill more people than Stalin and Mao and Hitler combined, maybe you might be encouraging someone to take a pot shot at Trump. We can go back to somebody deciding they needed to get a bunch of weapons and go to Brett Kavanaugh's house. They barely wanted to touch that story. They certainly weren't going to discuss a climate of rhetoric against Brett Kavanaugh. You know, this just reminds me for a minute about how the week of Thanksgiving always spurs these articles about how to talk to your troglodyte family members at the dinner table. These never apply to me. I mean, I've never had this problem. I mean, to some extent, we, we don't have a grand political divide at our dinner table. I think we have more of a, a realization that this is, this is not really a political dinner. Nobody's fundraising for one party or the other. It's just a family dinner at Thanksgiving. Now, there are times where you get tempted. One of my relatives recently toured the Jimmy Carter Museum in Atlanta and was singing Carter's praises. I had to suppress the urge of unloading a righteous anti-Jimmy rant. But, you know, we might be able to allow the notion that building houses for the homeless or eradicating guinea worm disease sounds like some good works when you go to the Carter Museum. I'm certainly going to like Abe Lincoln more after touring the Lincoln Museum. So you just learn to say, I'm going to accept your impressions of what you saw, and I'm not going to find that I really have to urgently disabuse you of your notions. Now, speaking of extreme rhetoric, let's talk about MSNBC. Brent Baker pointed out to me today that Mike Barnacle, well, you know, the fake news Boston Globe columnist Mike Barnacle, went on a bender on Morning Joe about the prospects of Trump getting reelected in 2024. Now, you can see Rupert Murdoch's media properties are now tilting against a sequel for Trump, mocking him as old Florida man, and now... The Washington Examiner, also owned by a billionaire, Philip Anschutz, 
has a Tim Carney cover story about the Republicans needing to tr- cut Trump loose. But, you know, MSNBC had to imagine the very worst if Trump somehow dominates the primaries again this time, like 2016. Barnacle was sp- speaking to never-Trumper Charlie Sykes. We saw Governors Sununu and Christie both speaking. Uh... And Charlie's point is valid, and I wonder about it myself. And Charlie, maybe you can expand upon it. Doesn't it really prove the point that Donald Trump has instilled such fear in other Republican candidates that they go right up to the tripwire of answering the question of if he does indeed, God forbid, become president of the United States again, it poses a threat to national security and a threat to the larger existence of the United States of America as we know it. Charlie Sykes said, yes, that's exactly right, because that's what MSNBC people do. They agree with each other on pretty much everything. You don't stay on MSNBC by suggesting Trump isn't a nuclear missile waiting to explode and destroy America. I think we can understand that Trump's long-running failure to concede to Biden, as well as his words and behavior on January 6th, suggest to his opponents that he has a hostility to democracy. But it just seems to me like the left is deeply invested in keeping Trump right at the center of the grand old party. I mean, you can see they're going to look at these midterm results and wonder out loud, um, wouldn't we want him as the nominee, especially after all of his hand-picked Republican candidates lost? Well, hold out hope for Herschel. But go ahead, you know, they're like, hey, pick Carrie Lake and both of you can deny you were ever defeated together across the country. Yes, they're always fixated on Trump. They're all delighted there's a special counsel again for Trump. Except if you're kooky enough as Ali Mistal on MSNBC, who's very upset it's taken this long. Don't you know there should have been a special counsel for Trump? Probably at Inauguration Day 2021. That's what they want. They want Trump in prison in an orange jumpsuit. And that makes Merrick Garland a wimp. He's worthless and weak. He never does enough. That's the proper debate on MSNBC. Merrick Garland's doing the right thing with the special counsel. Merrick Garland is worthless and weak. I guess that's a difference of some opinion. Then finally... We may discuss this again later in the week, but CBS finally admits Hunter's laptop is real after two years. Now, there's two reactions to this, briefly. The first one is Catherine Herridge gets to do actual investigative reporting on a Democrat. Now, Catherine Herridge does reporting on all the parties and and stuff, but it's very rare Usually when she reports on a Biden, it might be on CBSNews.com, but not make the TV shows. I mean, this is, what, the Monday of Thanksgiving week? We're safely past the midterms. We're certainly safely past Biden getting elected. And two years in, CBS is going to be like, oh, we went and hired a guy and decided it was real. Now, they couldn't have just decided the Washington Post hired a guy, the New York Times hired a guy. You could have just said right back then. Well, we trust the New York Times and the Washington Post. It's real. But no, they wait until now, which is a little bit ludicrous, and especially the way that CBS was so aggressive 
um, that they wanted to suppress this story in 2020. And the one that sticks out to me, of course, is when Donald Trump's being interviewed by Leslie Stahl. And he's trying to tell her that the Bidens have a scandal. And she's like, oh, none of that's confirmed. You can't confirm that. Well, obviously, Leslie Stahl is wrong because CBS now turned around to confirm it. What that should hint to you is that somebody inside the government's got the goods at Hunter Biden. Now, notice Ellie Mistal isn't going to yell and scream that Hunter Biden didn't get a special counsel. No, for some reason, it's not a conflict of interest for Merrick Garland to not appoint a special counsel for Hunter Biden. Hmm, interesting the way the media plays that. We will have more in the coming days on how the Hunter Biden story evolves. So come to Newsbusters as you do. Get it all once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.